Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so I know that you had a recent uh, conversation with the patient, uh, something about you know doing some hormone testing. She went to her gynecologist or something. Uh, and the you know, kind of gynecologist kind of blew her off and said there's really no testing to be done. So uh, it just seemed like one of those, uh, you know, kind of uh, not aha moments, but one of those things that comes up a lot. Uh, so today we're going to talk uh, about what uh, that there are, are hormone tests to be done and what what hormone tests could be done depending on the situation. Exactly. I know you and I, you and I have talked about this many times over the years and we've had lots of patients, new patients that come into us and say, you know, I really feel like there's something going on with my hormones. I don't feel right, but I've asked my gynecologist or my primary care physician, um, you know, what can we do? And they you know, oftentimes I've had many patients tell me that their gynecologist and primary care general physicians will say, well, there aren't any tests to do, which there are, but that's, it's also, I think in some respect, it's a little hard to interpret. And and I understand, you know, gynecologists or your general practitioner shouldn't be the jack of all trades, but they're definitely with, um, healthy women that feel like something is off, even though everybody tells them they're fine, but they don't feel fine. There are lots of ways we can delve into hormones to see if that might be creating some of their symptoms. Yeah, right. Now, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, I'm not really sure why there's this, uh, and I don't think it's necessarily that broad. I think that there's lots of testing that is being done. Sometimes there's too much testing done when it's unnecessary. Um, But when it comes to hormones specifically, obviously that's what we talk about and what we help people with all the time. Uh, so, you know, we've kind of figured out over the years, you know, where, where to look for some of that, uh, what, what things to look at, um, that can give us a clue that there might be an issue. Now, a lot of it just based on experience, we can just get a, uh, just to get an idea of a, of a woman's symptom picture, you kind of have an idea where at least where the hormones might be in, in, in a lot of cases. And, and specifically right now, we're kind of talking about female hormones. Uh, we can always talk about male hormones um, a little bit later as well. But with female hormones, we all know, you know, you get your period, you go through puberty. Um, do you think that's kind of noisy down there? <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. We've got our two little doggies here chewing on their elk bones and they're, ha- they're going to town here. So sorry if everybody can hear that, but it sure is darn cute to look at. Well, and then I got, I got the, uh, you know, the uh, headphone cord wrapped around uh, one of them and I can just see a disaster waiting to happen here. So uh, let's just hope for the best. <laughs> All right. Fingers <laughs> yeah. crossed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Never a dull moment here. Uh, so, uh, but, yeah, what I, what I was saying is that, you know, women, you know, go through puberty, you get your periods. Our, our hormones are always changing since, you know, the time you're basically, you know, 12 years old till the time you go through menopause and those ovaries stop producing hormones. So a lot of times what you have to look at is in some ways kind of like the phases of life. You know, somebody that's 16 years old is going to have a lot different hormones than a woman that's 45 years old versus 51 years old. So I think that might be kind of a little bit of an issue too going into it is you know, these, a lot of reference ranges are not looking at some of these age changes. 
Well, not to not to mention, as we've kind of alluded to on a bunch of podcasts in the past, that a woman's hormone levels, uh, her female hormone levels are changing like all month long. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that that's sometimes where the hormone testing gets kind of blown off is because if you don't know, uh, I mean, if you're going to, if you're a woman, you're going to get your, if you are actually going to get your hormones tested, you need to know what time of the month it is or what day of the month, you know, day one, first day of bleeding. Uh, and then that goes until you bleed again, however long that cycle is, um, knowing what, you know, where you are in that, you know, in that time frame is relevant to be able to help interpret uh, the lab testing that whatever it, whatever might be done uh, would be uh, you know, would be necessary to know. Exactly. So I wouldn't say it's complicated, but you know, it is, there's, there are a lot of nuances to the hormones. Cause like Dr. Mackey's saying, let's say you are menstruating and getting a period of, you know, once a month, every 28 days, your hormones are going to be totally different on day one than they are on day 15 than they are on day 21. So there are some aspects with that, but you know, when I'm working with patients at this point, it's sometimes hard to say, okay, I want you to do your blood work on these days because people have busy schedules and they're not, you know, and maybe they tried to get to the lab and it got canceled or for some obscure reason, which happens all the time, they go and get their blood work done and then they get their period the next day because it came early. So there are, because um, we've been doing this for a while, we can pretty much tell where they are in their cycle when they get their blood work done. But I do feel like looking at those female hormones are really important for just overall well-being and health. Yeah, well, and then, it, you know, from a practitioner perspective, um, it gives us a baseline, uh, and then it gives us a, you know, a chance to see the difference based on treatment, uh, you know, whatever that might be, whether it's estrogen, whether it's thyroid, whether it's progesterone, testosterone, uh, it does give a lot of... Um, uh, kind of before and after. Uh, now, I will say that the lab testing sometimes falls short, right? Because we're looking, we're putting a lot of trust and faith in some of those numbers. Uh, and, you know, there's a, you know, there's a little bit to be desired sometimes from specifically from hormone testing. We're kind of at the mercy of what's available. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of times you're looking for disease when it comes to hormone testing, or at least that's what insurance companies will pay for. Uh, and, you know, we're not, you know, it's not necessarily designed to look for optimization of some of those levels. If it's normal, you're fine. Um, but like you said, some of those women are told they're fine, but they don't really feel fine. So then how do you, how do you interpret from there? What, what do you do? Uh, this is more of a rhetorical question, mm-hmm. obviously, but how do you, how do you deal with a situation like that when, you know, everyone else, they see their normal, they tell their numbers are fine. Uh, but you know, the, you know, the patient is actually experiencing something that, you know, then being able to split some of those hairs a little bit, uh, and, you know, come up with a, you know, with a plan that is, you know, going to be effective for them. And I think, you know, not that we want to make it super simple, but we want everybody to kind of walk away from this podcast with a little bit of an understanding on what kind of hormones that they could get tested. So like Dr. Mackey was saying that, you know, we do a lot of blood tests. I've been doing hormone blood testing since 2004 when we, you know, when I started practice and, and only probably because that was the most readily available to me. Um, insurance covered it most of the time, but there are saliva tests, there are urine tests, there are all sorts of different tests you can do. But for the most part, let's say, generally speaking, we're talking about blood. So like Dr. Mackey said, is they're looking for disease. We're looking for optimal hormone levels. So that's where you pair some of those symptoms. So let's say somebody comes in and you're you know what? I'm tired. My periods are kind of off. They're a little bit heavy. I get crampy. I'm super tired. I have trouble sleeping at night. Um, I'm gaining weight. I have a lot of carb cravings, even when I'm 
after I'm full, I'm still hungry. You know, a lot of the, we'll get a lot of those symptoms, hair loss, uh, dry skin, acne, you know, Hey, I'm a 42 year old woman and I'm breaking out. What's going on? You know, you see a lot of those where we take those symptoms and then we pair that objective data with the blood work. Cause I do feel like the blood work is important. So you can put that together to see, you know, where they line up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, um, uh, and that's where the, uh, the experience piece comes in to be able to know what you're looking for, for one, so you know what you're, what you're testing, and then what that information actually says. Because you're right, the, the example you gave of the 42-year-old woman, uh, you know, there are some very specific things that you'd want to look at that um, would kind of point you one direction or not. For example, uh, you mentioned, you know, 42-year-old woman, she's breaking out, right? That could be a combination of a few different things, but I know for a fact you and I would be looking at her, you know, testosterone and DHEA level to see if that number is, you know, maybe even high or low, all right? There could be some various, and we'll go through kind of a list of, you know, um, some things that if you are uh, concerned or having some issues yourself, you know, this would be kind of a, a running list of things to look, look at yourself uh, and see, and see what, the, what that information shows. And now we're talking about the female hormones, which are, you know, estrogen and progesterone. There's a couple of stimulating hormones we'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, when you're looking at that full picture, you also want to include in some adrenal hormones, which I consider in some respects testosterone for a female to be a little bit of an adrenal hormone because it's certainly not a reproductive hormone, but we do make DHEA from our adrenal glands that can convert into testosterone. We make a little bit of testosterone from our ovaries, but it gives, you know, it gives us a little bit of a look at like Dr. Mackey was saying is if someone is breaking out, maybe their androgens are high, that testosterone or DHEA, or, okay, let's get a little more complicated. Maybe some of those female hormones are low and then those androgens end up being kind of the leader of the hormonal chain gang. So we're kind of looking at all of those, but then like I had mentioned, you know, we do want to look at the thyroid because a lot of times somebody might not have thyroid disease, but they could have a suboptimal um, thyroid level that could be interfering because they really all the hormones work together. We're not just a, you know, I guess you can say we're some of our parts, but we're not compartmentalized. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, and that is kind of looking at, uh, you know, granted it's a little bit of a obvious statement, but that's taking a very much of a holistic approach, uh, looking at their symptom picture, looking at their hormone levels, uh, seeing at, uh, seeing not only where they are in the month, but also where they are in their life. Because all those factors are going to turn it, are going to be kind of translated into what those hormone levels should look like. Okay. Uh, now let's run through just a kind of a quick list. Uh, let's just use your 42, you know, you have a book, Perimenopause Plan. Uh, so a woman in her early to mid forties, um, let's just kind of run through a list of labs that we'd be looking at in someone like that. Yeah. Cause like you're saying, the labs could be different based on your age or the interpretation could be different, whether you're 26 years old and having terrible PMS or you're 45 years old and feeling like you're, you know, having perimenopausal symptoms. So they are different in some respects, you, you interpret them different, but you might run some of the same ones. For me, I definitely like to look at a follicle stimulating hormone, FSH or a luteinizing hormone, an LH. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so you said stimulating hormone. What is that? Uh, that, you know, we don't want to get too much into the endocrinology of it, but what is a, what is a, right, stimu- now they're rolling around on the floor and <laughs> like pawing the table. Yeah, of course they are. Uh, so what is a stimulating hormone? What does that look like? Well, they used to be called releasing factors. That was way, 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 way back in the day, but they're technically not really a hormone. That's why it's called a stimulating hormone is a signal from the pituitary 
basically telling or evaluating that endocrine or that sort of, um, or that hormonal, that gland that's producing hormones, if the hormones are too high or too low. So for example, a follicle stimulating hormone is a releasing factor or a stimulating hormone from the pituitary monitoring basically overall ovarian function, ovarian hormones. I find it a little bit more connected to the estrogen where the luteinizing hormone is another stimulating hormone or releasing factor coming from the pituitary, monitoring that overall ovarian function. I find that LH seems a little more connected with progesterone or even with testosterone for males and females on that. But it's when you look at the reference ranges, so let's say you go into your doctor and you say, something's off. I feel like it's my hormones and they run an FSH and an LH. I do think that those are important to look at, but they're not super specific in terms of hormones. It'll tell you if your ovaries are working. So let's say they, you know, all stimulating hormones work in a negative um, feedback loop. So let's say my ovaries are working perfect. They're jamming, they're producing beautifully. My FSH would be kind of low. FSH and LH would be a little bit on the lower end, like around two to four. That means that, you know, that ovarian function is pretty well managed. So let's say um, I'm starting to go into menopause. Those ovarian hormones are starting to drop. And so that means that ovarian function is starting to decline, inevitably so, because that's what's supposed to happen in nature, is you'll see the LH and the FH start to rise because it's noticing those hormones are going down. So it's starting to raise its releasing factors saying, hey, make some hormones. Of course, that's not going to happen because with nature, those ovarian, you know, the the ovaries do start to decline and that's totally normal. So, but I do want to see if somebody's, you know, 27 years old, not on any kind of birth control, they feel like their hormones are off and they have a high FSH and LH as another podcast. We had talked a little bit about ovarian, um, which is not very common, but you know, having somebody's, you know, ovaries just stop working well before menopause, then, then, you know, that would lead you into there's something going on with the ovaries. And then like I, Dr. Mackey was mentioning an FSH and an LH, when you're in your forties, you might see that FSH and LH start to rise and look like on those reference ranges that, oh my goodness, I'm in a menopausal reference range, but they're still having a period. That's where it gets a little bit gray because with perimenopausal female, you'll see an elevated FSH and LH, but it's not like out, you know, out, out of the realm. It's not up there in the eighties or the hundreds, but you might see it like around, you know, the high teens to the thirties. So that's just showing that they're more in perimenopause. So I do feel it gives us the FSH and the LH to sum it all up, gives us a little bit of a kind of a, a vague idea of where somebody is in their hormonal changes, whether they're you know, those ovaries are pumping and rocking and rolling, or they're starting to decline, or they've actually, you know, checked out. Yeah, right. Now, again, uh, FSH is, you know, a fairly common test. A lot of gynecologists run on FSH. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily, like you said, pay attention to the reference ranges they put on the labs themselves, uh, because it does determine on where in in their cycle they are, where in their life they are, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, you would automatically expect to see that that number rise over time. Uh, we can assume from that, like you said, that ovarian function is going down. Therefore, estrogen progesterone production is decreasing, which then usually correlates with, in some way, severity of their symptoms. The more, the higher the number, the FSH, uh, now you get a clue as to, you know, you know, in some ways, you know, how much more hormonal, hormonal production do they actually have? 
Okay. Is it a short-term thing? Is it going to be another few years? No, granted that might, that part might be kind of hard to predict, but are they just on the beginning side of those hormonal changes, you know, early to mid forties, or are they on the back end of those hormonal changes where they're late forties to early fifties? Uh, you know, so some of those things, um, you know, uh, some of those nuances are you know, really important and can help kind of steer us in one way or the other. And like Dr. Mackey mentioned earlier, that if you are menstruating, every day is a little different. You know, your estrogen and progesterone are non-existent during your period. They're very low. So you don't really want to check your estrogen progesterone when you're on your period because you'll get them lower. The estrogen starts to rise. It's supposed to peak right around day 12. Then you ovulate on day 14. And post day 14, you start to make higher levels of progesterone that rise and rise and rise and peak at day 21. And then that estrogen sort of, um, you know, balancing out and declining. And then if, of course, if there's no pregnancy or fertilization, you get a period again back at day one. So when we're looking at that cycle, I do find it's really interesting to check someone's blood work kind of post that quote unquote ovulation time, which would be day 14 to their period. Perfect day is day 21. But like I'd mentioned earlier, everyone's schedule is different. That could fall on a holiday. It could fall on a Sunday, it could fall on a work day. It's just the way it is. So if somebody, but I do love to get, so if you're going to get your hormones checked and you're a menstruating female doing that FSH, that LH, but doing an estradiol. So I had mentioned estrogen. So basically you want to do an estradiol, not total estrogens because estradiol is a little bit more specific to find out where those levels should be and a little bit more accuracy and doing a progesterone. If you can get your blood work done post that day 14, closer to like day 20, day 21, then that gives you a lot of insight into are those hormones rising as they should be? Am I actually ovulating? So if someone's not ovulating, they're not going to make much progesterone. Yeah, right. And that is in some ways kind of the, you know, as you see that FSH level go up, uh, you can start start to assume that they're not ovulating, uh, you know, because ovarian function is starting to decline. Uh, and if they're not ovulating, then progesterone production starts to wane off significantly. So in some ways, there's almost like this, I wouldn't say overnight, but there's this, you know, gradual transition where a woman's feeling fine, then all of a sudden, you know, she's not feeling fine anymore. And that is kind of our definition, so to speak, of when actual perimenopause, I wouldn't say really begins because they can have symptoms well before that. But, you know, maybe the peak of, of perimenopause, if there is such a thing. Uh, and then there's on a you know, kind of a downward decline from there on, you know, uh, on their transition into menopause. And, you know, just to kind of relay this to, you know, different times in our life, that's a great time to check in the perimenopause, um, you know, checking that progesterone, that estradiol, you know, a little later post quote unquote ovulation time. But a lot of times too, I'll find women with very severe PMS or have a lot of PMS symptoms that, when I check them that their progesterone is actually a little bit low. So, and it's not that, oh, why is my progesterone low? There's so many other reasons that could happen for that. It could be genetics. It could be environment. It could be stress. It could be sleep. It could be a lot of things, but it's one of those things to be able to pair with those symptoms because to kind of sum it up a little bit, you know, PMS is anywhere between day 14 and your period, you're feeling kind of crummy, you know, munchy, bloated, um, digestive issues, really irritable, like, really grumpy. Um, you know, you can, that's when you start to have the breakouts. That's when people put on five pounds overnight and they can't figure out why the difference between PMS and perimenopause, you know, very, um, vaguely is it's almost like with peri perimenopause, you have those PMS symptoms all month long. It's not just, you know, somewhere between, you know, three to 14 days before your period, it's like all month long. So that's why it's interesting to kind of, you know, even if somebody's like, 
27 years old, 32 years old, and they're seeming like they're having some of those hormonal symptoms is to actually check them because there could be an imbalance between that estrogen and progesterone. Right. Or estradiol. Yeah, right. Yeah. Estrogen. Usually when we say estrogen, we really mean estradiol. We don't do total estrogens. That's another test that's commonly done. We don't really do that one. We don't do an estriol. We don't do an estrone. It's pretty much estradiol, which is the predominant form of estrogen in the body. So it's really the only one worth with really testing just for more specific to kind of give you that general data. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So just kind of a, a running list here. Now we'll have a resource that you can go to progressionhealth.com backslash labs. Uh, we do sell lab work. You don't have to be an actual patient uh, to buy labs directly from us. Uh, if you download the PDF document, that will have some panels on there. Uh, you can even do a la carte. If there's just a couple of things you want to look at, uh, you can always give, uh, you know, either email or g- give us a call. Our assistant Erica will, you know, kind of help you uh, put together a proto- uh, a requisition that is, uh, you know, that is specific to you. If there's something that you either don't want or you do want to see, uh, she can help you with the a la carte list. Uh, and, you know, uh, that's uh, in this day and age, we don't necessarily have to go to the doctor to have the appointment. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, we don't have to have an appointment to go to the doctor. You know, uh, information is kind of at our disposal these days. Now, these labs that we do, blood work labs, are done through LabCorp. Pretty much every city in the in the country is going to have a LabCorp location, uh, you know. So that part it's still done by an accredited lab, and you know they're numbers that we see all the time. So we feel pretty confident, uh, you know, in in the in the uh, the totality of those numbers over time. We see lots and lots of uh, lab testing. So um, this is a way that you can have access to your own information, especially if your doctor is saying that there's nothing to be done. There's always something to be done. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, a gynecologist or your GP might order an FSH and, and, you know, maybe just do an FSH and a total estrogen. So you're like, darn it, I really wanted to see that progesterone and that estradiol. So then you just order it yourself. Now we have that at our fingertips. Um, But definitely I would say for those female hormones, an FSH, an LH, an estradiol, a progesterone. And then like Dr. Mackey was mentioning is, you know, looking at some of those androgen is looking at the testosterone and the DHEA sulfate. So when you're checking DHEA, which is a hormone abbreviation for a really long word, but it comes from, comes from the adrenal glands, the adrenal glands secrete DHEA. When you do total DHEA on a blood work, it's very vague. It's not very specific. So you want to do the metabolite DHEA sulfate. That gives us a little more specificity. How do you say that word? Specificity? There you go. <laughs> specificity on where that level should be. So um, I would you want to mention a little bit about the androgen? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you can see what we like to, uh, so when we do a, you said specifically testosterone, DHR, adrenal hormones, we don't do very often, maybe occasionally we might do a a blood cortisol, but blood Mm -hmm. cortisol really doesn't tell us what we want to know. One, the reference range is too, you know, too wide. Um, Everybody falls. Now, granted, you might see someone that's on the low end of normal, high end of normal. Okay, fine. Uh, but a better way to evaluate, you know, kind of adrenal production or adrenal function is looking at the testosterone and DHEA, DHA sulfate. Uh, and you're not really sure the situation necessarily. Uh, uh, again, for that, that was the dog. She just burps. <laughs> I think she's actually throwing up right now. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, well. oh, no, 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 no. She's still. No, she's not. She's she's just playing with that bone. Down Thank goodness for elk bones. Otherwise, we'd go through 20 bones a day. Yeah. <laughs> These elk bones just last forever. Uh, anyways, uh, so uh, DHEA, sulfate, testosterone, it's a very good way to uh, 
to evaluate uh, the adrenals. And, and again, back to that 42-year-old woman example, uh, in that instance, you're not really sure if the numbers are going to be high or if the numbers are going to be normal or if the numbers are going to be low. Let's just say your, your example, a 42-year-old woman has lots of stress. She's working full time. She's got, you know, a couple of kids. She's really stressed. She's been stressed for months. Uh, In that case, what we'd expect to see uh, is that her DHEA is going to be below 100, uh, you know, possibly, uh, and her testosterone might even be in the single digits. Uh, You know, that gives us kind of a big clue and some potential treatment options where we can, you know, where we can uh, position our therapies to help improve that overall situation. Right now, I do think on the conventional side, when a when a patient goes to their doctor and asks to do hormone testing, especially for a menstruating female, I think a lot of times they're discouraged from doing hormone testing because the only real option that a doctor has is birth control. And most of the time, they're not going to test their hormones to put someone on birth control. You just put them on birth control and they're, you kind of set it and forget it. Uh, you know, so when we're, we're not using birth control most of the time as our treatment modality. So we do want to see those hormones uh, and, you know, and knowing how to interpret them. What does that information tell us? And I do think, like you had mentioned, the androgens, the testosterone and the DHA sulfate, another really kind of unsung hero that is secreted from the adrenal glands is pregnenolone. Some people call it pregnenolone, pregnenolone, potato, potato, but I call it pregnenolone, but it comes from the adrenal glands. Now that's not an androgen per se. So it doesn't have, I guess you can say more um, men have much higher levels of testosterone and DHEA sulfate than we do, or DHEA in general than we do as females. But the pregnenolone is really nice because that has a lot to do with short-term memory, um, with learning. When you're young, you have tons of pregnenolone, which is why you learn everything so easily and quickly and fast. But pregnenolone, we do make a little bit in our brain and spinal cord, so it is neuroprotective. But I love to check the pregnenolone because I think that that has a nice effect on looking at the adrenal glands. So now, granted, the reference range is on pregnenolone. I think Quest is anything under 200 and was it 20 to 237 lab corp is anything less than 150. So there really aren't great reference ranges for doctors to be able to look at and say, you're, if you're high or if you're low, usually I like to see it at least at 80, you know, maybe 80 to 120 is kind of that nice spot. Most people feel pretty good with in terms of that mental energy and that clarity, the focus, the short-term memory. But um, a lot of times like Dr. Mackey, you know, you're pairing the symptoms, the person up with the numbers is they, tend to have somebody that's, you know, stressed out, uh, tired, not sleeping, metabolism is all off, um, hungry, sugar cravings, um, all sorts, is you'll tend to notice that that pregnenolone is low, like around in the 20s. And even people that have good stress, like just good stress, bad stress, it's all stress, is you'll see that pregnenolone. So I do think that that's a really important one to check too. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that would go under that, uh, instead of looking at cortisol directly, which seems like the obvious one to do, uh, through blood testing, it's not necessarily the best. Uh, where those other three, the pregnenolone, the DHA sulfate, the testosterone, that gives you a really good you know, idea what's going on. But not to bag on cortisol as a serum or doing a blood test. Dr. Mackey's right. The reference ranges are big, whether you're doing it in the morning or you're taking that cortisol blood test in the afternoon. Saliva testing for cortisol is much more accurate. But if we're trying to keep, you know, hey, we're busy, we're, <laughs> we got busy lives, just trying to get into a lab for a blood draw is, is hard enough to schedule, let alone having to do a saliva test. Um, 
So I, you know, if that were really looking like that cortisol, something's really up with that, then maybe then we would layer a cortisol saliva test later after we got that objective data. But I, I still do the cortisol blood test just for that data, just to see, is it, like you said, high, high normal, low normal, just to kind of get an idea to pair with everything. Yeah, right. So a couple of other ideas, uh, just in general, you know, when we're seeing, you know, hormone testing, uh, one that often uh, gets missed or is never really done conventionally is looking at an insulin test, uh, you know, because that is going to tell you a lot, especially if you're tired or you're gaining weight or, uh, you know, there's blood pressure issues. Insulin resistance is a really big thing. Uh, we talked about fatty liver not that long ago. Uh, you know, that's part of that, uh, you know, whole makeup or workup, you know, for the most part. And it doesn't ever hurt to just look at a fasting insulin. Uh, we like to see fasting insulins less than five. Uh, when that number starts to creep up a little bit, especially into the double digits, you know, 10 plus, you know that there's a little of a, you know, a little bit of insulin resistance going on, which can have a multitude of effects on the body to make us not necessarily look or feel our best. And just as a kind of an overall statement about insulin. So ideally under five is amazing. Under nine, I'm super happy with, but when it gets into the teens, not great. Oh my gosh, in the twenties and higher, of course, um, we want to bring that, you know, definitely focus on bringing that down. But just as a general overall statement, the higher the insulin, the easier it is for you to gain weight. So somebody that has an insulin of, let's say, 19 is going to have much easier weight gain and very hard to lose than somebody that has an insulin of seven. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, uh, fasting insulin can be very ambiguous, right? Sometimes you would expect to see something that you don't and vice versa. Uh, you know, so you know, you really have to do from a practitioner side, when you collect all this data, all this objective data, you are kind of, you know, nothing tells you exactly what's going on, which is the unfortunate part. And even perimenopause, you know, that's what we're talking about. The 42 year old woman, she's in peri quote unquote perimenopause is not even really a diagnosis, right? So you have to kind of break down all her symptoms, you know, individually to get a diagnosis. Um, that's why, and, and from a treatment standpoint, that's why we sort of focus on that. Uh, because from a treatment standpoint, there really isn't really a lot of good options for them. Now, when a woman goes into menopause, you know, now she's got some options, at least conventionally, but even hormone wise, it's almost, um, it's less complicated because you can, if a woman's 55 and having hot flashes, you kind of know, at least we know anyways, kind of where her hormones are already at um, just because of where she is in her life. And granted, maybe there's not a lot of conventional treatment for hormone imbalances, but we have lots of treatments that we do. So, but I do find that getting that objective data of the blood work or some kind of indices on where the hormones are at is a really good place to start. And then once you're implementing the treatments, then retesting to see if there's improvement, not to mention, you know, how someone's feeling. So, you know, looking and not just looking at the FSH and LH, which that's what we started off with. I think that's found, you know, a baseline an easy start, but really delving into those hormones of the, the estradiol, the progesterone, the DHA sulfate, the pregnenolone, the testosterone. And I do think for females, the insulin is huge. You know, a fasting insulin is so much more, I, I find that gives you so much more information than just a fasting glucose. And then I do think looking at those thyroid levels are important too. Yeah, yeah. We have any, we could probably do a whole separate one on thyroid, which we probably will end up doing uh, because that's one very popular now, granted, these things we talked about, thyroid, adrenals, female hormones, uh, for a new patient, we would 
typically test all of those things. Uh, you know, just as, you know, even the insulin as a screening process to, you know, for us to have a full picture understanding of what's going on. Um, but like I said, you know, progresshealth.com backslash labs, you can download a little PDF document that'll have some of the panels that we offer. Um, but also, like I said, if there's just something specific you're looking for, like say maybe a pregnenolone, which is not often done, or an FSH or LH, those are pretty common, but you know, nonetheless, um, you can uh, you can just kind of pick and choose the ones you want. And even from a thyroid uh, perspective, conventionally, it is all about TSH. Uh, you know, and even a thyroid panel, you know, you'll see a thyroid panel checked on a requisition sometimes. You know, there's a lot of tests there that really don't mean a lot, uh, that don't really tell you what you really want to know. So your doc doctor says he's going to do a full thyroid panel. You know, most thyroid panels, uh, you know, uh, they haven't evolved very much over the last several years, and there's just a lot of kind of wasted information there. Uh, you know, but you, know, you might do something out, outside of the norm. You might want to do thyro uh, Hashimoto antibodies, right? That's something that's not routinely done. You might want to do a reverse T3 level, depending on what your dose of medication is. You know, there's a bunch of different things you can do. And then once you're on medication or you're already taking medication, uh, now that's where you can, you know, see how your levels are responding over time. Yeah, and I, you know, we do get a lot of patients whose doctors do test their TSH, that thyroid stimula stimulating hormone, another releasing factor, a stimulating hormone from the pituitary. So they will test, of course, the TSH, and they do do a free T4, which I think an is super important to do a free T4. They just oftentimes leave out the free T3. And, you know, a lot of our you know, listeners, our patients, our clients are pretty savvy with thyroid. They've done a lot of, you know, research online and they know that a free T3 is so important. So a lot of times, you know, docs just won't check it and then they might order that a la carte. But I, I'd say if you were, you know, like I said, more of a simple overview is if you're going to check that thyroid along with your hormones is, is a TSH is important, a free T4 and a free T3. And like Dr. Mackey said, maybe checking those Hashimoto's antibodies, which is a thyroglo uh, thyroid peroxidase antibody or, or the um, antithyroglobulin antibodies, the Hashimoto's antibodies is checking those to see if you have Hashimoto's or where those levels are at. And then like you mentioned, maybe a reverse T3. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those are, you know, those are pretty, at least in our world anyways, those are pretty standard thyroid tests. Uh, conventionally, not so much. It's all, you know, the whole game is, is positioned around TSH only. If your TSH is normal, you're fine. If your TSH is not normal, you get a, you know, one of, you know, basically three medications, um, which are, you know, what we referred to in the past as, and a lot of people might know, is called T4 monotherapy. Levothyroxine, Synthroid, Lavoxyl, something like that. Yeah, Tyrosin's another one. Uh, we don't typically do that for obvious reasons, but uh, you know, that's it's a it's a way to take something very complicated as a thyroid and, and simplify it into just a couple of tests. And you no, know, honestly, that that approach just doesn't often work. It works fine for some, but for the majority, it doesn't. Over time, it doesn't seem to work all that well. And there's so many ways in different therapies to be able to optimize thyroid. And 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 I will. And Dr. Mackey, you've probably seen this too. Is when someone female's thyroid is off, underactive, or even kind of like subclinically underactive, and you're noticing that, um, definitely it reflects downstream to the female hormones. So a lot of times before I start chasing those female hormones, I want to make sure that thyroid is exactly where it should be and then address some of those female hormones as opposed to just jumping right into the female hormones because the thyroid seems to have such an effect on that. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, you, you can get a really nice, uh, uh, you know, in, I wouldn't say enhancement, but you can get a really nice impact on the female hormones via
via the thyroid, mm-hmm. um, which again is a kind of an approach that uh, you know conventionally is just not going to be taken. You're going to treat the thyroid for the thyroid purposes only, not indirectly like that. But but when you're dealing with hormones, uh, you know. I think about hormones kind of you have your your major metabolic hormones, your thyroid, your cortisol, your insulin. Those are the ones that your body can't live without. But then you have your secondary hormones, which in this context would be your female hormones that are often influenced by those major metabolic hormones. Not necessarily vice versa, though. There's not really a lot of influence the other way. The thyroid, the the cortisol, the insulin are always affecting those secondary hormones and even tertiary hormones. Uh, those you know those second and uh, you know third tier hormones are not usually affecting the the major metabolic ones as much. Maybe a little bit, you know, to some extent, and maybe symptom wise in some ways, but. The, the primary ones always affect downstream. That's why, you know, uh, you have, you know, granted, the thyroid, which is, you know, a big popular topic, insulin and cortisol are very difficult to directly impact themselves, right? You can't, there's no medication you can give someone to lower their insulin. Uh, you know, some of the diabetes medications now actually increase insulin, which is just a really there's bad like idea. There's like a couple of injection ones are coming, you know, they sort of come out yeah, with there's they, a few little things but they don't have mm-hmm. i think the I mechanism know. of action on some of those is just a really bad idea on some of them now we'll get into specifics on those later you know yeah, um, yeah how we bring that down yeah, and treatments but, on that but cortisol you know that's another challenging one you know how do you directly impact cortisol um you know we can do a whole series on you know adrenal function and how we kind of you know around about we'll probably eventually address that at some point you know but how do we approach those kind of situations to have an impact on these major Major hormones that do affect everything else, how we look and feel on a daily basis is related to those. Um, but, you know, conventionally that piece gets missed an awful lot. So uh, instead of looking at cortisol, we like to look at these, you know, the three that you mentioned, the pregnenolone, the uh, DHA sulfate testosterone that tells us, or we're able to infer an awful lot about, uh, you know, uh, adrenal cortisol function. And then you throw in an insulin there that kind of, you know, kind of helps um, fill in some of those gaps. So like I said, you know, right there, there's a, a list of probably uh, what close to a dozen different hormone tests right there that we discussed today. Yes. And, and one, one just, you know, before we, we close this out, I do want to say for females, I do also check a ferritin. So a lot of times, let's say your hormones are imbalanced, you might be having extra heavy periods, two periods in a month, um, you know, especially those heavy periods, is um, your conventional doctor, gynecologist, they'll check a CBC, a complete blood count, to look at your total red blood cells, your hemoglobin hematocrit, which is the iron content basically in the red blood cell, to make sure you're not anemic or you don't have low iron. Oftentimes that that can be pretty normal or um, maybe a little low normal. That's why I like to do the ferritin, which ferritin isn't iron. It's a protein that binds to iron, but gives you a little idea about the iron savings account. So oftentimes I'll find that... Uh, Females, hemoglobin, hematocrit, total red blood cells are normal, but their ferritin's low. So we want to actively try to bring that up. You know, just, you know, that's just another test that I would look at too. It's not a hormone, but it could be reflected from those hormone imbalances. Sure, right, right. Especially if you are a vegetarian, vegan, uh, or don't consume a lot of animal protein, which is where, you know, majority of, you know, good absorbable iron sources are going to come from, you know, that could exacerbate a ferritin level. Uh, and like I said, your iron bank account, that's what ferritin really is, how your liver, uh, how much iron is stored in your liver, 
as ferritin, uh, you know, it's very common for those numbers to be relatively low in people that don't eat a lot of animal protein. Yeah. And you know, just one, you know, one side thing is a lot of times people talk about hormonal migraines and they're, oh, it's about that estrogen and that progesterone, which it truly could be. But when someone has a low ferritin, that triggers a lot of migraines or tension, chronic headaches. So that's always one little thing I'll look at um, just to make sure we're not missing something. Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, like I said, if you're uh, looking for uh, some more, you know, uh, you want to know what tests we offer, there's pretty much anything that's on LabCorp. We pretty much run all of those for the most part. Uh, there's some that we don't run just because it's not our area of expertise for sure. But again, if you're looking for something specific, uh, you can go to progressionhealth.com backslash labs. There'll be a document there with some instructions. Uh, it's a very simple process. Uh, we send you over a lab rec or it's sent into the system. Uh, you go into the lab, they draw your blood. We get the results in, you know, three to five days. Uh, it's really, really, really simple. Uh, and then that way, like I said, you have access to the numbers you want uh, to help be able to, you know, figure out some of these, uh, you know, hormonal nuances that women are experiencing on a, you know, on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Davidson, do you have anything else to add? No, no. Sorry, everyone, if you can hear the dogs down there, like munching on their elk bones. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But we can't, we just love them so much. They have to stay with us. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to put some like blankets on the metal legs of the table. Probably doesn't need to be metal, but uh, nonetheless, if you could watch them, it's really cute. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.